How's that? Better? Live streaming. This is forever. Good to know. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Kevin Shingleton, uh, one of the elders here, and uh, it's my uh, privilege this morning to, to bring the word to you. Uh, we've uh, had to move things around a little bit. Toby was out last week, and Chad was supposed to speak this week, so he moved back uh, to last week, and then um, I told him I would preach uh, this week for, for him. And uh, as I thought about that, I, um, I've been thinking really all month about one of my favorite uh, passages uh, in the Christmas narrative. And um, if, you've, uh, if you've heard me preach for any length of time or teach for any length of time, you've probably heard me speak or teach about uh, Zechariah. Zechariah is, is one of my favorites, uh, and yet unsung, underrated, overlooked aspects of the Christmas narrative. He's the, he's the bass player of the Christmas narrative, the underlooked, un, under, uh, underappreciated one that nobody thinks about, but, but so important. And, um, and so I kept going back to Luke 1, and then, and then when I had the opportunity to preach, uh, I decided that's where we would be this morning. If you could turn there in your Bibles, uh, it's page 855 in your, in your pew Bible if you're using that. And a couple of reasons I think this is a good fit for us this morning. It's, I know we're two days past uh, Christmas, but it still feels like Christmas until New Year's, right? So I think, I think we're okay to stay in the Christmas narrative, even though it's not, you know, Luke 2. Um, but um, the other thing is, I, I think as we come to the end of 2020, a pretty crazy year, and we look ahead to the uncertainty of 2021, uh, I think this is a good passage that we will get some good perspective from. Guys, I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here, just so you know. I don't like hearing myself twice. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to read uh, Luke 1, but before we do that, I think it's important with this text to, to get some uh, historical perspective and cultural perspective on, on what's coming, coming into this passage, what's going on here, why this is so significant. And, and what we're doing here is we're coming out of what's called the intertestamental period. And that's, that's a long word that simply means it's the period between the testaments. You know, Malachi 4 ends the Old Testament. You turn a, a page, and then you're in Matthew 1, which begins the New Testament. But chronologically, it's actually not Matthew 1, it's Luke 1. And, uh, and so we, we're coming out of 400-plus years between the Old and New Testaments, 400 years where there is no revelation from God to his people. 400 years, that's a long time. I mean, that's 1620 is 400 years from, the, from today, right? Think about everything that's happened in the last 400 years. The people of Israel were probably wondering, has God forgotten us? Where is God? Because what was happening in those 400 years is going to change the landscape of the world forever. What was happening in those 400 years laid the foundation for Western civilization and, and still is foundational to the world that we live in today. Because you had the rise of Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and then you had the rise of 
the Roman Empire. Things that would change the world forever. And God is seemingly silent. No direct revelation for 400 years. He wasn't speaking through the prophets. He wasn't speaking through angels. And yet, as we come to Luke 1, the silence of 400 years is broken. And it is broken in the presence of one man, Zechariah. Zechariah had, uh, had a privilege that no one else in human history would have. And so as we have that historical background, it adds a little bit of weight to these verses that we're going to read in Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read all 76 verses uh, in chapter 1, although I would love for you to read later Zechariah's prayer at the end of this chapter. It's pretty amazing. But we're going to start in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and this disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to the truth of your word. We thank you that even now you are still speaking. 
We're grateful that you have shown us the light of the gospel. I pray that you will, will show us what we need to hear from these words, that you will speak clearly to us, that we will be challenged by these things and changed by them. Uh, for your glory, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pretty amazing story, right? I think the main idea of what we see in, in Luke 1 from the life of Zechariah, what he learned, and I think what we all learned from this is this, that God has granted us the privilege of service, of prayer, and of the gospel. And, and we see in the life of Zechariah, the first thing we see is his service. And his service as a priest was not just a job for him to do, it was not just a duty for him to do. This was a great privilege to serve the Lord as a priest in the temple. There were two honored lines uh, in Israel, uh, the line of David, which was the line of the king, the line of Aaron, which was the line of the priest. It was a great privilege and honor to be a priest in the service of the Most High God. But what we see about Zechariah is the time that he is serving as a priest is a time of great difficulty. He's serving under King Herod, and if you understand what was going on here, the Roman Empire would take over uh, nations and peoples, and then to, to sort of keep the peace, they would, they would appoint uh, leaders and governors and kings uh, to rule over the people and, uh, and Herod was the puppet king uh, of Rome over Judea. And Herod was a terrible man. Uh, the combination of great power and great evil and great cruelty. And add to that a touch of paranoia. And Herod was quite the evil man. His accomplishments of evil are pretty vast. He even killed members of his own family because he, didn't, he wanted to protect his, his throne. And of course, we know he's the one that ordered the killing of all the babies uh, in order to try to stop the Messiah, Jesus. And this is who Zechariah is serving under. It's hard to imagine a more corrupt government than what he was serving under, and yet he remained faithful. Probably, probably a reminder for us, right, that it doesn't matter who's in government, and whether we think our government is great or terrible or whether we agree with them or not, we are still to serve God faithfully as his church. And that's what Zechariah did. But these were dark days. It had to be challenging to be a priest when God had not spoken for 400 years. And yet the faithful Jews held on to the promise, the last words of Malachi, when, when God promised through the prophet that one day, through these days of darkness, the son of righteousness, in Malachi 2, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You see, I wonder if Zechariah held on to the, to the hope of his own name. You know what Zechariah means? It means God remembers and if you look through the history of Israel, he would have seen that in the darkest days, God remembers his people. God remembers his 
covenants. And when Zechariah would pray at the end of Luke 1, he would make this statement, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. That word sunrise in the King James is dayspring. You might recognize that from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. In the time of darkness, the light is shining. Luke 1 is sometimes called the Genesis of the New Testament. Because just like the light shined in the darkness in Genesis 1, the light shines again here in Luke 1. And just like Genesis, that light is going to bring life. And that light shines to one man, Zechariah. He's serving through great difficulty, and yet his service was unconditional. Listen, this, this is so rare and increasingly rare in the modern church. Zechariah, he's been dealt a pretty bad hand, right, in terms of government. Even, even the other, a lot of the other priests and the high priests were corrupt. God is silent. In addition to that, he is bearing a personal burden that I don't know that any of us could understand. Here he is, a priest of the Most High God from the favored line, well at the, near the end of his life, and he has no children. It's, it's hard to overstate the impact of that on the life of a man, and, and especially a woman, in that culture. Because children were a blessing from the Lord. And the more children you had, the more blessed you were. And so if you didn't have any children, uh, you were obviously doing something wrong. You were obviously living in sin. Because God was, was cursing you because you didn't have any children. Can you imagine living under that reproach? And, and, and Elizabeth uses that word, I've been under the reproach of my own people. Living under that reproach for decade after decade after decade. The shame of that. The stigma of that. We could probably forgive Zachariah and Elizabeth if they weren't the most faithful you know, uh, followers of, of their faith. Because they've been given such a difficult life. And, and yet, that's not what they did. You know what it says? <laughs> Do you see what it says? Can you imagine this being written about you by God himself through the Holy Spirit, through the writers of Scripture, in the eternal words of Scripture that will never pass away? It says this about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children. Doesn't that, doesn't that fly in the face of, of the modern gospel, right? That doesn't that work in the modern gospel. The modern gospel says if you, know, if you trust in Jesus, you're going to get everything you want. Right? If, you, if you're doing your part, God's going to do his part. If you don't have everything you want, you're not, you, know, you don't have enough faith, there must be sin in your life. 
That's not the way it works. There's these clues throughout the scriptures that remind us that anything good in our lives is solely from the unconditional grace of God. And, and Zachariah and Elizabeth here are going to have a son not because they deserved it, but because of the grace of God in their lives. His service was unconditional, regardless of what he was getting or not getting from God. It's, it's probably a fair question to look in the mirror here, right? Is my service to God, is my faithfulness, is my obedience, is my ministry, is my giving, is, is all of that conditional on what God is doing? Or regardless of the circumstances in my life, am I faithful? It's easy to get caught in that trap, right? Man, things aren't going so well. God must be punishing me. Or things are going pretty well. I must be living right. It's such a dangerous way to think. We've been called to serve the Lord faithfully regardless of circumstances because everything that we have is because of his unconditional grace in our lives. It was a great privilege for Zechariah to serve the Lord. And, and, you, and you know what? You don't have to be of the favored line of Aaron uh, to serve the Lord in his church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are of the favored line. You are of God's chosen people. And we are all called priests. It is our great privilege to serve the Lord. And, and can I tell you that especially in times like these, in 2020, when we are not as connected as we normally are. And I, I, for those of you who are new to this church, I, I really regret that you don't get to really experience the full uh, warmth of Gray Road Baptist Church. It is such a giving and caring and loving church. And there's this, this barrier of masks and distance, and you don't really get that. But hang around. When we all come back together, I want you to really experience that in its fullest. But um, listen, whether some, some of you haven't, haven't been here since, since March, and, and, and we, we continue to encourage you to make the right decisions for you and your family and your health and, and all the right precautions, and we, we, we've been saying that since day one, and we fully support that, and we get that, and we understand it. Uh, but but we, we also know that in times like these, we still need to continue to serve each other in this congregation, especially now. Whether we're here in the building as much or not, we need to be serving each other. If, if, if you're watching from home or even if you're here in the, in the room, wouldn't it be great if, if we all wrote down a name right now of someone that we have not connected with for a while, we haven't seen for a while, maybe we haven't connected with them since March. Write down a name and reach out to them today. Serve your, your fellow brother or sister by reaching out to them and telling them that, that you're thinking about them and that you're praying, about, uh, praying for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. You will be amazed at how you are blessed by that and how much it will bless them. We need to be serving each other now more than ever. It is our great privilege to serve the Lord in his church uh, please take that privilege and serve each other. 
The second thing we see from Zechariah is his prayer. Zechariah is about to get the greatest honor that a priest could ever get on this earth. In that he is going to be the one who gets to go into the holy place and pray, offer incense and pray on behalf of the people. And again, it's hard for us to really uh, understand the significance of this. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from a Jewish historian here that, that helps us understand a little bit of the weight of what's happening here. But just at a, at a, at a high level, there would be upwards of 20,000 priests at the time that Zechariah was serving. So getting chosen to do anything uh, was, a, was pretty high odds. Uh, but but getting, getting chosen to serve in the holy place, if you've never studied the, the temple or the tabernacle, you, you had three main parts. You had the outer court, was which, which were uh, all Jews could go. You had the, the holy place, which is where only priests could go. And then you had the holy of holies, which only the high priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so 20,000 priests, uh, to get chosen to do anything in temple service, especially in the holy place, would have been very rare. Uh, and to be chosen to be the incense priest was the rarest of all. Uh, and it's so rare that, that if you got chosen, you could never do it again for the rest of your life. It was literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And this was Zechariah, been serving for decade after decade and after decade, and finally, on this day, by chance... <laughs> He's chosen. This is his greatest honor as a priest. And how it would work is there would be three priests that were chosen. Two other priests would go in with him and help prepare the, the coals and the incense, and then they would leave, and then he would offer the incense. Listen to the words of uh, this uh, Jewish historian on this. I think it really helps add some color to this. And for me, it... Um, it adds some weight to really what's happening here. Listen as I read this. Uh, before dawn, hundreds of worshipers gathered at the temple. The morning sacrifice began when the incense priest walked into the temple through the outer courts and he struck a gong-like instrument known as the magrapha. At, at this sound, the Levites assembled and got ready to lead the gathered people in songs of worship to God. You get, you get the picture here? Very, very ceremonial. Uh, he, he walks up and uh, is sort of this processional and he walks up to the gong and, and he hits the gong and, and that begins a worship service. This is a very sacred, solemn time of worship. It goes on to say that the two other priests chosen by Lot that morning walked up to the temple on each side of the priest chosen to offer the incense. So these two priests are going in with Zechariah. All three entered the holy place together one priest set burning coals on the golden altar. The other priest arranged and prepared the incense. Then those two priests left the temple, and the incense priest was left all alone in the holy place. And can you imagine what that was like? Zechariah had probably never been in the holy place before. He'd only heard about it. He is in there by himself, is completely quiet. The only light in, in that holy place would have been from the, the, the golden lampstand 
to his left, he has a table of showbread on the right, and in front of him is the altar of incense, which sits on the edge of the Holy of Holies itself, and there's a veil there to separate, really to protect the priest from the presence of God. And he's offering incense on this altar, and the cloud rises and fills the holy place and the holy of holies, and it says it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. To complete the picture, it says the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. When the people outside saw the two men exit the temple, they knew that the time to offer incense had come. Those hundreds of people bowed or kneeled before the Lord and spread their hands out in silent prayer. They knew that at that moment, the incense priest prayed in the holy place in the very presence of God for the entire nation. You feel the weight of that? This is a very sacred, somber, important moment. And Zechariah stands alone in the presence of God to offer incense and to offer prayers for his people. And as he is doing this, the silence is broken. I suspect that it got a lot brighter because it says that an angel of the Lord appears to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And we don't know what the angel looked like, but we know it wasn't Cupid. It wasn't a little baby cherub angel, you know, we know that. Every time the Bible uh, talks about an angel appearing to human beings, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid, right? Do not fear. We don't know what the angel looked like, but it was an awesome, fearful, supernatural sight. Zechariah instantly knew that something supernatural, something divine was happening. He was troubled, fear fell upon him. But he says, do not be afraid. And listen, the next few words would change Zechariah's life. Because the first thing he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. This angel knew who Zechariah was. Which means God knew who Zechariah was. And was responding to him personally. Isn't that encouraging to know that when you pray, that the God of the universe hears your prayer and knows your name. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, this is where you got to stop and say, what prayer is he talking about? Because he immediately goes on and starts talking about you're going to have a son, but what would Zechariah have been praying at that moment in the holy place while offering incense? He would not have been praying for himself. Zechariah was a faithful priest. He would not have used that opportunity to pray for himself. He was praying for the deliverance of his people, and specifically, he would have been praying for the coming of the Messiah. And the angel says to him, your prayer has been answered. 
And we'll see the significance of this in a little bit, but, but what we're seeing here is what often happens in Scripture when we have prophecy. This is a prophecy. This is something that will happen. Uh, oftentimes, there's different horizons of fulfillment in prophecy. There's an immediate fulfillment, but then there's a much bigger picture at play in, in, in much prophecy. And that's what we see here. There is immediate fulfillment of this. Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And that's going to be a miracle in and of itself. But, but Zechariah, there is a much bigger story going on here that you are getting a glimpse into. You see, his prayer was answered in a very divine way, in a way that only God could answer it because God is not confined to time and space like we are. And God was beginning to implement his plan to bring his son to this world to save all who would believe for all time. And so he says, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. And at this point, this, this is where in the Hollywood version, Zechariah would, would respond, oh, thank you, God. I never gave up hope. I, I never stopped believing. I knew you would come through. That's not what happened, right? That's what's supposed to happen. That's not what happened. This is, this is why I think the, the, the Bible's um, authenticity comes through, right? The Bible paints very real pictures of, of the people that even though Zechariah was faithful, he was still a sinful man who needed the grace of God. And here he responds um, with, with doubt. And we, we tend to give people a hard time in the Bible like we wouldn't have done the same thing. I mean, imagine this. He's, he's been praying for decades for this. He finally gets to offer this in the temple, his, his greatest privilege. He's praying, and, and then just out of nowhere, this angel shows up, and he's reacting to this. He is spinning at this point. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? Is this even real? And basically, he asked the angel for a sign. He says, how, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Give me a sign, because Zechariah knows what comes next. He's going to have to go out and tell the people what happened. Right? He's already under reproach. He's probably already ridiculed. He's going to go out and say, yeah, I saw an angel and I'm going to have a son. He's going to be laughed off the stage. He doesn't want to be humiliated. He's like, how? give me a sign. And, and the, the, the angel, Gabriel, do you, you sense the, do you, see, you hear the attitude from Gabriel there? He's, he gets a bit indignant. I'm Gabriel. He's like, dude, look what's standing before you. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence. I, I would love to hear what his voice, I, I suspect that his voice got a little bit lower, like the dad voice, Right? I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. By the way, Zachariah, this is the best news that you've ever heard, that the world has ever heard. It's good news. That's where we get the word gospel. And then he says, behold, you, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time.
Zechariah didn't, he, he had the faith to pray, but he didn't have the faith to believe the answer. And so he's silent. And so this, this narrative doesn't quite finish the way that we, we hope it would, but uh, there's, a, there's a great finish coming. But, but let's just pause just a minute to think about the privilege that Zechariah had to pray, which would have only been reserved for a priest once in his lifetime. But think about the privilege that we have now as believers in Jesus Christ. Remember, as Gentiles, remember I told you, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. As Gentiles, we weren't, we weren't even allowed to come into the outer court. We were, we're, we're out in the parking lot. We, we can't even get close to the temple, much less to God himself. And now, through Jesus Christ, the veil has been rent in two. The doors have been opened. And not only can we come into the outer court, not only can we come into the holy place, we can enter into the very holy of holies, into the very throne room of God, because Jesus, our sacrifice, our high priest, has won access for us and now sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. We can go, not only go trembling, but go boldly before the throne of grace as his children. Do you see prayer as your great privilege? Uh, if we saw prayer as it really is, I suspect we would treat it differently. And the next time somebody asks me to pray for them, you know what they're actually saying? They're actually saying, would you go before the throne room of God, God Almighty, and intercede on my behalf? Man, what a privilege. What an honor. If, I mean, if we really felt that, we, we would probably more, more, more often put our arm around our friend and say, let's go together. Let me, let me pray for you now in the presence of God. Let me intercede for you. Thank you for that privilege. Prayer is our great privilege, but there is a greater privilege than even prayer, and that is the privilege of the gospel a privilege that was given to Zechariah that he would lose. You see, after 400 years of silence, the silence is broken. Zechariah was the recipient of this word from the Lord. <clears throat> and this message he, he received was a message of good news the message we call the gospel, because when it says that, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, again, there's a much bigger story at play here, and he gives Zechariah some of the details here, and Zechariah would, as a priest, would have clearly understood what the angel was saying. <clears throat> he says, your prayer has been heard, you and Elizabeth will bear a son, you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. 
He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The angel here is, is quoting from Malachi 4, partially. Some of the very last words in the Old Testament were from Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Zechariah, if he was thinking clearly here, would have clearly understood what the angel was saying. And it's hard to, to overstate the significance of this to any Jew, especially to a faithful priest like Zechariah, because Zechariah would have been like any other Jew for, for the decades of his life. Every year he would have celebrated Passover, and uh, on Passover every year they would have set the table and they would have left an empty chair, and that empty chair was for Elijah. And they would have a cup on the table that would not get touched because that was the cup for Elijah to drink. And they would leave the door open just in case Elijah would come. Because the Messiah couldn't come until Elijah came. And when he tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and your son's going to come in the, in the, the power and the spirit of, of Elijah, and then he quotes Malachi 4, Zechariah understands what he's saying. Not only are you going to have a son, Zechariah, but I'm going to send the son, my son. And he's going to deliver us all. This was good news. And even, even the name John, you know, the name John means Yahweh has been gracious. Zechariah, this isn't because you deserve it or anybody else deserves it. This is the grace of God being poured out because of his love and his mercy. This was good news. But because of Zechariah's doubt, he is silenced. You see, Zechariah was a priest, and in Malachi chapter 2, he would have known these words very well. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But because of his doubt and his lack of faith, this privilege was taken away, and he is silenced. It's hard, again, it's hard to overstate how, how significant this was. Zechariah had been given the greatest message in all of human history. It had only been given to him. And at the end of his service, here's what would happen. He would walk out of the holy place. The people were outside still, still waiting silently, the priest would walk out somewhat triumphantly from the holy place, having completed their service and their intercession for the people. And then the priest would give a benediction. This was Zechariah's moment. <laughs> he would give the benediction in front of the people. And here's what, here's what he, the Jewish historians tell us, that the benediction would have come from Numbers chapter 6. Listen, listen to what he would have said and, and listen to the significance that, he, that these words would have had uh, to Zechariah, knowing what he knows now. 
He would have said this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The sunrise is coming. The darkness has been broken. And be gracious to you. I'm going to have a son. His name is John. God is gracious. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord has remembered his people. He's sending the Prince of Peace. The greatest message of all. <laughs> and he stands there. And he can't speak. His greatest privilege was taken away by his doubt. You know, the gospel is our greatest privilege. We have the message of hope that the whole world needs to hear. It is our greatest privilege to share it. Not just benefit from it, but to share it. Have you been silenced because of your doubts, because of your fears? How cold and cruel are those who know the gospel and don't share it? I ask myself that question. We have the truth, the only truth that really matters in all of eternity, in a world that sorely needs it, in a world that is lost and searching and wandering aimlessly, searching for anything that matters. And we're silent. The gospel is our greatest privilege. May we not waste that privilege this week. Let me close with this thought. In the, some of the last words Jesus gave to his disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Don't just stay in Jerusalem. Go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Certainly a daunting challenge for some fishermen and laymen who had no formal training to take the gospel to the othermost parts of the earth and change the world forever. They would obviously get the help of the Holy Spirit to do that, but the world that they were living in was already prepared for this to happen. Because in these 400 years of supposed silence, God was working on the world stage. You had Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire who would spread the Greek way of life, the Greek way of education, the Greek way of thinking, and most importantly, the Greek language to the known world. And then the Roman Empire rises and they build infrastructure that was unknown to that point so that you could actually could travel to the uttermost parts of the earth because of the infrastructure and, the, and the, the shipping lanes and everything that the Romans put in place. 
In these 400 years of silence, God was changing the world's landscape to the point that when he tells the disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, they have a language that they can take that in that people are going to understand, and they have roads that they can travel that they were not there before, that they can actually go to the uttermost parts of the earth. God was preparing the world for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. I think it's just a useful reminder for us in 2020, maybe when things seem dark and you wonder what in the world is God doing. God is still working and preparing this world for his plan and his purpose. And, and listen, there have been opportunities for the gospel in 2020 that never would have happened without the pandemic, right? If you're paying attention, there's, there's so many opportunities now that, that we wouldn't have had before. God is still working. He is not silent. His plan and his purpose will prevail. And we need to trust in that and hope in that and rest in that as we head into the uncertainty of another year that we have no idea what it holds, but we do know who holds it. And we, we, we rest in that. Let's pray. God, so grateful for the hope we have in Jesus. So grateful for the gospel. You are so gracious and merciful to, to us that we take you for granted. And I pray that we would not lose sight of that grace and how amazing it is and, and how much... Others know, need to know it and need to hear it and need to understand it. May we take grace and truth uh, to, to those around us and take the gospel not only to the end of the world but the end of our street. I pray that you would grant us uh, your grace this week. Would you be honored and glorified in the way we live our lives we pray that you have been honored this morning. Thank you for your word and how clearly it speaks to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.